1: Before you start this episode, this is just a reminder that History Hack does have a Patreon account and a Kofi account as well. You can either register to subscribe and throw us a few quid every month, or simply buy us enough caffeine to continue through to the next episode. Because frankly, we run on fumes most of the time. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. I am really pleased to be speaking to historian and journalist David Crossland, who's come to talk to us about his new book, Whispering Walls, uh, First World War Graffiti. So, uh, David, uh, welcome to History Hack. How are you doing?
0: Very well, thanks. Yes, glad to be here.
1: I oh, was you in the preamble, um, I really enjoyed reading. In a way, we, when we think of graffiti, you think of things that kids write on the bus stop and all the rude stuff I find in my son's playground. But this had a lot more depth to it
0: Yes uh yes it's a whole range it's not just graffiti it's also uh intricate carvings of um of uh, regimental insignia um um of of um, beautiful women especially in the case of french soldiers um but also um, just scribbled names scribbled with pencil um yeah. and service numbers um there's a full range of graffiti reflecting all the different nationalities that converged on the Western Front.
1: Whereabouts can 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 these carvings and graffiti be found?
0: Um, Pretty much anywhere that men had the time and opportunity to to, to leave these traces. There are especially many in the underground limestone quarries across Picardy and the Pas-de-Calais regions between the north of Paris and the English Channel. And Picardy in particular is famous for its limestone and its crisscrossed by labyrinthine quarries. And some of them are vast and they're dug under the fields. And uh, they're, over the centuries, they were used as um, as refuges in times of war. And uh, so the armies of both sides discovered these quarries and used them as unit headquarters, uh, field, uh, first aid post storage sites. Uh, so the, the, the French, the Germans, the Brits, Australians, Canadians, they all used these sites and because the men had the opportunity and time, they chose to immortalise themselves on the walls in all kinds of
1: ways. There's something similar in uh, the tunnels under Dover Castle as well. And I've been told down at Chatham Dockyards, there's a wall where sailors would wait before being put on ship and that they've all carved their names into the wall there as well.
0: Yes. Of course, limestone being soft, it's very easy to sculpt. So, um, mm. so uh, you, 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 they could use their knives, their bayonets, uh, just, just to, just to carve into it. And, um, some of them had hours, of, you know, because they were waiting to go into battle or because they were on rest and recuperation. So they, uh, so they, they, they got quite elaborate and they would copy all kinds of, all kinds of motives that were around, all kinds of subjects around them, like coins or banknotes. They, would, uh, there's a, a famous, uh, a, a sculpture, um, a French sculpture which copied, um, copied uh, marianne, the marianne the bust of marianne the french national symbol which was on a french coin and uh, uh, those, the the germans um they were very keen on uh, patriotic slogans like gott mit uns you know which was inscribed yeah. on their belt buckle and gott strafe england god punish england <laughs> that was also a patriotic a, sort of a, a, an anti-british war slogan you could find that on the uh, walls as well
1: but like you said, there's also a lot of names sort of left behind. So, um, I thought we could talk about a couple of them. You, you go in depth for a few of them. Um, one of them was, uh, Corporal Adrian Edmonds.
0: That's right. He, he wrote his name, um, um, in a tunnel under the village of Naua, which was north of Amiens. And Naua, I'll just briefly talk about Naua because it's a unique yeah. place because Its caves weren't used as a shelter. They were a tourist attraction, even during the war. And the Australians, in particular, ran guided tours of it. And it's still a tourist attraction. You can visit it. It's a museum and uh, over 3,000 inscriptions, mostly names, uh, ranks, service numbers, uh, have been found on these walls. And um, one of them was uh, Lance Corporal Adrian Henry Edmonds of the 3rd Australian Division Signals Company. And he wrote his name on the wall on the twenty third of May nineteen seventeen. He even wrote about that visit in his diary, and uh, his job was to lay telephone lines across battlefields but like 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 you know, like many Australia like Australians and Canadians, they'd come from thousands of miles away, so they were also very keen sightseers. So when you read his diary, he conveys the horror of the fighting alongside the beauty of the landscapes he traveled through. In his diary, he says in July 1916, he was on a troop train taking his unit to the Somme, and he wrote of, quote, hills covered with wheat interspersed with red poppies and cornflowers. A few weeks later, he, he goes on about the very heavy shelling, all day, many casualties, awful sights, half-bodies, legs, arms lying about unburied. Um So it's it's, it's a strange juxtaposition of uh, just uh, uh, describing... <laughs> Describe. It's just this, he's describing his the beauties around him and 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 the horror you
1: know I suppose when there's that thing of will I ever get back to see Europe again, so let's write down what I'm remembering, but then also like you said you've got the juxtaposition of the war and so it's it's difficult to make interesting reading
0: yes i mean he he, he writes um, drinking water out of shell holes and has the flavor of dead bodies um. Mm. And uh, and then he describes uh, in, in very dramatically a visit he took to Delville Wood, which was one of the bloodiest battlegrounds of the Somme um, on Boxing Day, uh, and uh, uh, describing shattered trees, trenches, shell holes, military gear, and corpses scattered everywhere still. And then he writes, "If only those who are responsible for this terrible war could see these silent forms." And then if, uh, he, he takes part in the Third Battle of Ypres. He's mm. almost burned alive when a shell lands on a flares near the door to his bunker. But a few weeks later, he's on leave in Paris, and he lists, as he ticks off the sites in his diary, Place de Vendorme, <laughs> Invalid, Napoleon's Tomb, Eiffel Tower, um, even took, a, uh, took in Versailles. Um, I'm glad to say he survived the war, returned home in 1919, lived uh, until 1968. Wow.
1: Um but someone who wasn't quite as lucky was uh Lieutenant L. R. Blake.
0: Yes. Uh he was a geologist and um a surveyor and an Antarctic explorer. He was a, a peer of Scott and Shackleton, and he went uh just before the war, he went on an expedition with the Australian Australian explorer Douglas Mawson as a geologist and surveyor. He also wrote his name in Nauru. Um And he was a lieutenant in the um Australian field artillery and he visited noah uh, in january nineteen seventeen He was in charge of a howitzer but um because he was a surveyor that's 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 what was his speciality and uh during the Battle of the somme he uh he was sent into no man's land in front of Pozier. Uh, and his job was to survey the exact location of allied lines. Um, to prepare the artillery for for the creeping barrage he was wounded by a bullet to the buttocks um which drew taunts from his mates but he, he won the military <laughs> cross and um later in 1917 uh, he, he was presented with another award by king george the 5th uh, and he, he uh, spotted the uh, white ribbon of the polar medal on blake's tunic and he asked him about it and they spoke for 20 minutes
1: about oh, wow.
0: Antarctica. And it went on so long that, uh, uh Blake had to uh, break off the conversation. It said, excuse me, your majesty, I have a, an urgent dental appointment. <laughs> and he had the option to, uh, to join the staff and to get out of the fighting, but, uh, he didn't want to. He wanted to be with his mates. So during the third battle of Ypres, he was seriously wounded by a shell fragment to his forearm.
1: Mm.
0: Uh then um, in September 1918, it's just an illustration of this bizarre parallel world that these soldiers lived in. He, he, he wrote to his brother that he had just visited Nice, the south of France, Nice, Montaigne, Monte Carlo, Cannes, um, and he was talking about the beautiful vegetation there. And then uh, 2nd of October, just weeks before the end of the war, uh, he was on horseback supervising... The unloading of ammunition and a stray artillery shell exploded under his horse, badly injuring him, blowing off his left part of his left leg, fracturing his skull. He was operated on, but he died the next day.
1: Yeah.
0: But with, uh, you know, it, 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 Blake to me represents uh, what was lost, because when you research him and the um, Herbert Dartnell uh, wrote a, an excellent biography of him, you get a real sense that this this guy would have... He was only in his twenties. He would have resumed his research. He would have resumed exploration and surveying geology. Uh, you get a sense, uh, not just of the tragedy of the loss of his life, but the loss of the potential in that generation. Um, and yeah. it's, it's striking with, uh, with, uh, with, with these names, especially with Australian names and Canadian names. It's, it's, it's very easy, um, to, to, to find out what happened to them. And it's, uh, when you stand there where they stood, uh, you know, with the, with, with, with the chalk dust in in the torchlight and 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 just stand where they wrote their names uh, it's it's quite a moving experience because you um, you you can find out what happened to them quite easily by looking it up on the Canadian and Australian um um, military archives um because they left so much information in many cases they left not just their their name their rank they left their serial number which makes it just immediate you just find out immediately you know yeah what happened, you know they didn't know what was going to happen to them and, and uh, you know the, 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 when they're writing it, it, it sort of rings with the question will i make it through this you know when you stand there you have the answer and uh, it's, it's poignant
1: I found that that particular chapter really moving, especially in the case of Blake, uh, because you have, like you said, this that that it, the, the graffiti is kind of like uh, a, a moment in time that's been captured. Exactly. Of um, I'm I'm here now.
0: And there's all kinds of things. I mean, uh, you know, there's all kinds of uh, they scribbled their name, their rank, their service number um the name of a mate who had fallen, or they created portraits of their wives, girlfriend, or girlfriend, or, or, or the pretty mademoiselle they, they saw in a cafe last month, or their farm animals back home, uh, the favourite horse or dog, poem, sarcastic remark, patriotic slogan, Christian cross, regimental insane, all kinds of things. But, 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 there's a huge variety of this graffiti. But they had one thing in common. Am I going to survive? Am I going to return to my loved ones? You know, they want to be remembered to prove their worth. That also comes through in this graffiti, what they had in common.
1: Because you've you've taken lots of wonderful photographs as well, and um, we'll we'll come to them a bit later, but two of them caught my eye especially. One of them is, because I'm I'm based in Kent, and my grandfather was in the East Kent, but I keep an eye on the West Kent as well, and there was a a beautiful photograph of the West Kent um, Regimental Insignia on one of the walls, which kind of helps bring it home. And the other one was a very crude drawing <laughs> of a man's genitalia. And I thought, you know what, you can, men don't change. <laughs>
0: oh, no, no. I mean, these were young guys, you know, you know, yeah. those, uh, teens and 20s. In fact, I'm surprised I didn't see more of that. But, uh, you know, but, but the French in particular are very keen on uh, big-breasted women, you know, <laughs> often with holes drilled in the relevant places. And, and one hopes these holes were for candles, you know.
1: Oh god, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, it did, it did make me chuckle. I just saw that and I just flashed back to when I was at school and seeing the graffiti that people would draw on the walls of the classroom when they were bored.
0: Unsigned, unfortunately, so it's, it's <laughs> anonymous, that, you know.
1: But, uh, moving on to someone slightly more serious, um, who was the, uh, the modest VC? Uh,
0: that was another soldier who, uh, left his name in Nauru um, while visiting it as a tourist. Um, his name was uh, Sergeant Samuel Mikosha of the West Yorkshire Regiment um, and um, he won the Victoria Cross for an action uh, November 1915 near Ypres um, his platoon was decimated by shell fire which killed six wounded seven buried most of the rest but Mikosha who was then a corporal he took command dug out the men in full view of the enemy with shell fire going on he was awarded the Victoria Cross uh by King George in Buckingham Palace. Uh, he, he became a celebrity. He featured on the front page of the Daily Mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was um, on the front page of his local newspaper, Bradford Weekly Telegraph, as the Bradford Man of the Week. Um, mm-hmm. There were photos of him at home and uh, uh, with his family. And uh, he was v- invited to lunch with the Lord Mayor of Bran- uh, Bradford. Um The Times wrote an article about it and uh, the quote he he told the mayor, quote, he had only done what had been done by many others and what many others would do. Mm -hmm. He also featured on a a Gallagher cigarette card collection of Victoria Cross heroes. But there are stories that he was uncomfortable with this fame. Um, And and there are stories also that he changed his name to Ingham, his mother's maiden name, because he was sick of all the attention. I couldn't get that confirmed by the family, however. Um, He changed his name, but the reason for it, I'm I'm not clear about. But he died in 1950, age 57, but his name made headlines again in 2001 when his his Victoria Cross was sold at Sotheby's by his granddaughter uh, to an anonymous private collector for over £100,000. Wow.
1: There, there, There were quite a few Victoria Cross holders who... Sometimes didn't. There were some that really reveled in the, in the fame and then others who did just sort of, like, well, I was just doing what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, I, I could imagine the, the amount of fame that you, you would probably get quite annoyed with people banging on your door and taking photos of you and making a big special deal out of it.
0: Especially he had, to, he had a Polish father. So his, his second name, Mikosha, was so memorable. That was another factor. He, he, he joined the army in the second world war as well. Um I think he was a um a captain, but um he uh people apparently people kept saying, Aren't you the Nikosha who won the the uh um won the VC and um there are reports he got fed up with that but I, as I said I couldn't get that confirmed. I tried to ask the family about it but uh I, I, I didn't get any answers on that.
1: My my French pronunciation is really dicey. But uh tell us about the Banksy of uh
0: that's it. Yeah. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, made, they're mainly British and Canadian soldiers. And they uh, made over 1000 inscriptions in total in tunnels under the village of um on the Somme, just a few kilometers down the road from Albert.
1: Mm.
0: And uh, in the build up to the Battle of the Somme uh, and during it and just after it, uh, most of these inscriptions were made then. Um And you can see that some were written on the same day by members of the same battalion. And here, too, I mean, some of the authors are known to have been killed within days of making those inscriptions. And and, um, and the French archaeologist um, Vincent Favre, he conducted um, an exhaustive study of the inscriptions. And he discovered a correlation between the number of inscriptions made per day and the ebb and flow of the battle and the volume of graffiti, he found that the volume of graffiti increased as British soldiers uh, of the 32nd Division piled into Boussincourt as it was being turned into a military camp in preparation for the big push on the 1st of July. And um, you already get a sense of the PALS system in Boussincourt, because many inscriptions reflect the pride and confidence of the new army you know, the guys who had flocked to recruitment centres. Um for example, there's a beautiful um inscription, uh a cap badge um drawn of the diehards, uh mm. the seventeenth battalion of the Middlesex Regiment. Um uh it, the, that, that battalion was the Footballers battalion, which contained professional players and referees, officials and fans from football clubs across Britain. Uh, and, and the battalion was a very important, um, sense of identification f- for many soldiers, um, because of the way that uh, the British, British army, um, did its recruiting, um, at the start of the First World War, um, because uh, there were local recruitment drives uh, among men of the same city of uh, occupation. Friends, neighbours, colleagues joined up, so joined so-called city battalions or known as PALS battalions in the north. They were attracted by the promise that they would be able to stay together with their mates, but of course given the scale of the casualties and the Battle of the Somme, the Pals system had disastrous consequences for the communities back home. Um, because of course the, the British Army suffered fifty seven thousand over 57,000 casualties on the 1st of July alone. Uh, worst ever told one day 19,000 240 were killed. Yeah. More than 5,000 casualties came from London, five and a half thousand from Manchester, over a thousand from Edinburgh, Leeds, Bradford, Birmingham. It was even worse for smaller communi- communities like the Accring- Accrington Pals and the Grinsby Chums. Um, yeah, so you, you get a, you get a sense of these, these Pals battalions losing core because it's very closely linked to the Battle of the Somme.
1: Just out of curiosity, do they have a list of all the names that have been written in there?
0: Yes, they've catalogued them all. You can, uh, um, uh, Vincent Favre, he did a fantastic job. He did a master's, uh, degree on Boussincourt and, um, also Boussincourt's been 3D, um, it's been photographed in 3D. So, um, they've measured it out and, um, done a 3D, uh, version of it, um, because, um, sadly it's uh the, the the inscriptions there are at risk from um, mm. dampness and um especially when the soldiers use lead pencils um it, 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 that's that's more enduring but a lot of them use their trench pencils which can or ink pencils and that's a problem because the ink soaks into the wall and moist a uh, moisture can uh to make the can make the ink run. And and Boussinko's got a problem with dampness. There's a risk of collapse. It's been completely shut for the last three years, I think. I went in there in 2019, was lucky to get in. Um, And um, yeah, Boussinko's at risk. Um, um, There's one inscription I found particularly poignant. Uh, It was written by um, Private Daniel McAlpine of the Second... Highland Light Infantry, and the inscription says, wounded three times. And, um, that reference, that sort of rings with pride, but also hope that he had his share of bad luck and that he might survive. But sadly, he was killed five months later.
1: Um, yeah, I was just wondering because my grandmother's uncle was killed at the Somme in October, but he was there for the first day. And I just partly wondered if he sort of left anything behind.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, um, it's possible i mean well, you could i mean one way is to uh, try and find out if his unit was anywhere near bozenkor that might be a start um but the the problem with bozenkor is that um it's not mentioned in any official military uh records that and at least the ones that i, I couldn't find any neither could fever and um it it seems to have been just a, a hap a quite used quite haphazardly the guys uh, the, 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 the village itself came under shellfire and the guys just piled into this, uh, this, this set of tunnels, which was another, um, refuge one of these refuges dug under the French village. And, uh, they only spent, they didn't spend very long in it. So the, the, the graffiti has quite a haphazard feel to it. Um. Yeah. But it was very relaxed down there. It was mainly, uh, there's it it no evidence. And in fact, a lot of this graffiti was done by ordinary soldiers. You don't see many officers leaving graffiti. So they, they were just uh, just basically chilling.
1: Waiting out
0: the Chilling the wrong word, but they were just uh, <laughs> either waiting to go into action or, or, or recovering from it and, um you know, trying to while away the time, you know. Yeah. Who's in cause uh, where the, the big penis is as well.
1: Yeah, and the West Kent thing as well. <laughs>
0: yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: I wrote I wrote it in brackets next to my question so I could bring it up, but it just it felt natural to bring it up earlier <laughs> before we get distracted by Willy's again. Um, let's let's move on to the Forty uh, Sixth Battalion of the Canadian Expeditionary Force.
0: Yeah, they had the unfortunate nickname of being the suicide battalion because they were involved in every major battle the Canadians fought in between August nineteen sixteen and the armistice. And of the 5,374 officers and men who passed through that battalion, 4,917, which is 91%, were either killed or wounded. Ouch. Members of that battalion were in Bousincourt and left their names there. And they include uh, Private Roy Klinsing. Um He left his name in a, in a list of four of his com- comrades. And with him, too, he left his service number. You type in his service number, the Canadian um the, the, the canadian uh official records are, are so extensive uh so you immediately found out where he was what he did uh, what his medical records was it f- five feet four inches tall fast runner which was obviously perfect attributes for his 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 job which was to uh, a runner you know, the key role in the war when mm. telephone often broke down um he was awarded, he was a farmer from North Dakota, awarded the military medal for carrying on his duties during the assault on Vimy Ridge, while under rifle fire and machine gun fire, after being buried by a shell for a while, after wow. having his arm dislocated, he showed, quote, cool indifference to danger. <laughs> oh, God. survived the war despite being gassed, suffering from shell shock, um, and he, he lived to the age of 84, died in
1: 1981. Wow. Got uh, some kind of machine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't, I mean, don't these,
0: think I... These, these. Every name has a story, obviously behind it. Every name is worth researching. And with the Australian, as I say, with the Australians and Canadians, it's relatively easy. With with the Brits, uh, it's difficult because yeah. um, so, military records. So many military records were destroyed in this, in, in the Blitz. Uh, I think two thirds of the uh, military records of the army records uh, let me hang on let me, let me check that i've got this here uh, uh only 30% uh of of, of our service records from, Britford, from from british army soldiers uh survive because uh, the majority were destroyed uh, by a fire at the army records office in um london uh mm. in an air raid, in an air raid in 1940 and uh, that makes it hard to to find out um, about British soldiers. You know, they are they're in the hands of the national archives.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and you can you can search and download um, service records, and, uh, and they are digitized records, um, but you have to go through. Um, you have to go through certain websites, which uh, which you have to pay for, you know. Yeah. It's quite an expensive affair, and there's a variety of websites. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 not so easy for the unfortunately. For yeah, the
1: I, I, I volunteer at the uh, Royal Engineers Museum, and the amount of requests we get saying, "I'm trying to find my great grandfather in the First World War. He was a Royal Engineer." Okay. <laughs> Do you have any more details? Uh, it's 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 such an uphill struggle. But I, I was, before we started, I was saying um, I, my great-grandfather somehow ended up in the Australian Army, and I just Googled it. I just went on the Australian War Memorial website and got an 18-page document of everything he was doing, a complete sick record. I look up my other grandfather. I'm lucky if I can find his service number. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's tragic. Yeah. It I mean, is.
1: Yeah. It's good that the Canadians start. Canadians and the Australian stuff is there. Give someone something.
0: Another guy who left his name at uh was Alfred Cromwell Myers. He was a trainee school teacher, volunteered to join a Canadian infantry, 1916, and he wrote his name in beautiful calligraphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it would have impressed his pupils. Um, a few months later, um he took part in a daylight raid in preparation for the attack on Bimi Ridge um he was wounded after he entered the german trench and according to a canadian investigation he sat down after he was wounded told a, told a comrade he would be all right in a few minutes and that he'd return to his own lines and when the raid was ending his comrades came back to 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 see if he was still there but he, he disappeared and the German sources later, later said he'd been killed. He was filed as missing. His name was inscribed on the huge uh, Canadian memorial on Vimy Ridge, but in 2015 he was found. And right. probably because uh, researchers uh, submitted a report to the Canadian War Graves Commission concluding that his remains uh, probably were um, lying in Cabaret Rouge uh, cemetery. Um, in near Arras, uh, so his last minutes might remain a mystery, but his probable find it final resting place is now known.
1: it oh, When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Blue Nile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We've mentioned them briefly in passing. It's not just the Allies, but the Germans as well are leaving uh, graffiti, aren't they?
0: That's right, uh, but noticeably uh, fewer. Um, which is surprising, given that uh, they held on to some of these quarries for years. Um, mm-hmm. um, one explanation could be that their commanders may have, uh, which would have been so, would have been typical, a declared graffiti was forbidden, and the tunnels. Uh, the Germans turned the tunnels into really well-equipped military bases: electric lighting, telephone cable. Uh, I mean, so did the, uh, so did the Allies, but the, uh, the Germans really made themselves comfortable because I found a fascinating photo in the German Federal Archive of soldiers, gotta be officers, in, in, the, in a garland festooned underground chamber with a piano, grandfather clock, cat, well-laid table, beer on, the, either beer, I think it's wine on the table, you know, you know they got it from villages around. Yeah so uh, a lot of the um a lot of the german writing uh, on the wars tends to be very functional uh, like to the kitchen or to first platoon this way um because these were really well organized military bases often often the germans would even in- in- install their own walls just to to shore up um the entrances um very high quality war i saw some examples of uh, uh of, of german uh, some engineering near the uh near the shaman dam ridge um, um in a quarry that they had held for years um between 1914 and
1: 1917
0: and it looks like it was built yesterday it's just absolutely yeah. Um <laughs> uh, but uh, there's also um, Gott mit uns you know uh, which the Germans had uh, on their belt buckles there's, there's quite often you see Gott mit uns uh, on the walls um, there are uh, there are some personal inscriptions um, but with Germany uh, Germans it's, it's 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 as difficult as it is with uh, British because a lot of German military records were destroyed in a, in a RAF attack on Potsdam you know so yeah um and of course the german is it's very regionally fragmented so um you have to check the Württemberg records or the bavarian records um a lot of which aren't digitized um but, uh, luckily uh, some of the casualty lists have been digitized so you can you can you can get a, a sense uh, you, you can get some information on on some of the soldiers but it's a hit and miss affair
1: mm.
0: um there's one uh, soldier lance corporal uh gefreiter uh fritz Jeneke of the twentieth infantry regiment um it says let all in German but let all the work uh, let all the world speak ill of you just keep your conscience clean then God will always be with you yeah actually this is uh in memory of him he, he must have fallen his his comrades wrote that um in nineteen fifteen um and one interesting thing is, well, one inscription, uh, le- also left by soldiers of the 20th Infantry Regiment, uh, lists, uh, three soldiers underneath a little iron cross, which was also much in evidence, the iron cross, flanked with two flags of uh, the Reich, um, in memory of the warriors 1914, the stretcher bearers. Yes. the writing is very, very neat. Uh, and um, there's an American author, Richard Rubin, who has been in this quarry, and he uh, pointed out something that, that's very true. It really um, evokes the meticulous writing that might have been taught by a schoolmaster like Kantorek in Remarque's R- All Quiet on the Western Front, the, the teacher yeah. who the whole class down to the recruiting office. These were young guys out of school you know, who just been to, been to a good school, and they really wrote their names very, very neatly and quite youthful writing. Them schoolboys,
1: hopefully yeah. not in the Gothic script, because that's always really yeah. difficult to read. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the Germans were like 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 uh, like everyone that they, they, their mates and their military units were their surrogate families, uh, bonded by shared experience, and that is reflected on the wars. Yeah. One quite illuminating bit of graffiti. One German soldier wrote in Latin, Ave Caesar, Morituri te salute and hail Caesar, we who are about to die salute you. Mm -hmm. And if you read that today, it sounds like bitter sarcasm, but uh, the mindset of 1915, when uh, morale was still strong, it reveals uh, bravado, a soldier portraying himself as a heroic gladiator, ready to lay uh, down his life for his emperor, for his kaiser
1: no british fallacies drawn on the wall in german trenches <laughs> nah, no
0: no no too no. serious there's a lot of they they did uh, there's anti-british slogans Gott strafe england God may god punish england you see that quite a lot um and with the germans and the french you 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 see how the soldiers were bombarded with patriotic emblems propaganda on on postcards and posters on merchandise bottles cups plates in many cases, they just borrowed these uh the, these images um and drew them on the walls sometimes there was real patriotism behind it, but sometimes they just was, uh, just whiling away the time you know, i'll do something what shall i what shall i draw I'll draw this you know
1: the next one, we'll move away from the germans uh to the french they they' do some great carvings as well, like the uh again with my French pronunciation here we go the altar of uh, Confricourt.
0: exactly yes um the the french car <laughs> The French, uh, they crafted real works of art, um, and and they were um, less inhibited than the Anglo Saxons when it came to depictions of the female form. Mm. They had a liking for big-breasted nudes with holes drilled in relevant places for candles, one hopes. And um, they carved also French Catholic. They say carved entire altars um, into the rock. One of the most striking. Is in a quarry close to the ancient farm of Confricourt, which is 100 kilometers northeast of Paris, and next to the altar they carved a flight of steps uh, up to the trenches above the River Aisne. Uh, and here it was here in the first battle of the Aisne in September 1914 that the conflict turned into a war of trenches, as both sides dug in um, due to the incredible losses from artillery fire, machine guns. Um, and the quarries were just a godsend for the men. They were the quarries were discovered as soon as the fighting started. You know, within within a month, these quarries were put to use. Um, the temperature was an unchanging ten degrees all year round, um,
1: uh,
0: and the, the troops quickly transformed them into subterranean barracks. Uh, one veteran likened it to Roman catacombs. Yeah. Uh, And here they they made um, engravings depicting loved ones, names of the fallen, but there are also elaborate regimental tableau commissioned by commanders, like the, you know, 35th Regiment, Commander, so-and-so, and and then, you know, Lieutenant, so-and-so, and and a beautiful framed tableau. Um, And uh, here also there's there's a really beautiful bas-relief of Marianne, the French national symbol. Uh, which was inspired by her profile on a French coin. Um, Yeah, Uh, the French, uh, uh, I I interviewed the French historian, Thierry Hardier, who's an authority on the graffiti. And um, he says, by trying to create something of beauty, the soldiers were seeking to reintroduce the human into a war that was dehumanizing and had robbed them of their individual identity. But there were also carvings of everyday objects, such as bottles of pinard, which was a cheap red wine, uh, treasured by the Toilu, which is literally the nickname of the soldiers, the hairy ones.
1: I mean, the the, the photographs of the altar, is just absolutely amazing. Uh, it's stunning. Uh, the amount of time and effort that went into it is must have been quite extensive.
0: Yes, it was commissioned by the chaplain, of the uh, of, of a French uh, regiment uh, who went on holding services there uh, for years after the uh, after the war ended, and um, uh, thirty kilometers away, there's a, another quarry uh, which was used by the, the French. Uh, more than fifteen French uh, regiments passed through the quarry of Montigny, um, including zouaves, uh, which was an elite light infantry formation. Um, which originated in French North Africa. And, and the most prolific sculptor here was an opera singer, Marius Cropet. And he specialized in creating patriotic artworks, like a, a sculpture featuring a, a French lion standing victorious on the back of a serpent-like monster with the face of the Kaiser wearing a little spiked helmet. <laughs> and uh, amazingly, this this survived. The, the Germans moved in uh, during the... Uh, during the spring offensive they were there for a few months in 1918 and it survived they didn't they walked past this every day but they didn't destroy it
1: yeah that's strange i would have thought one one prussian officer might have taken exception to that yes (laughs) in fact it's it's
0: striking that, that the respect that the troops showed for each other's graffiti um sometimes you see a french name next to a german name you know as they took over these quarries from each other there's yeah. very little evidence of them defacing each other's graffiti uh, they 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 added to it they wrote their names alongside it they showed respect for each other which i found very striking um and, and that is one famous one near laon where you see on the on the front of uh of, of a quarry um the uh, regimental insignia of a, a british regiment a french regiment and a german regiment in the sequence mm. in which they occupied it you know and oh, they wow. just
1: yeah, so the sort of brothers in arms sort of ideal well it's
0: it's but... it's, it's an absence of uh, it's an absence of hatred it didn't just strike me it's all the historians and the archaeologists uh, who know much more about this who've been going down these places for, for for years, they they told me this 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 is what struck them as well the respect the men showed for each other's work when they took over, um, and because um, they knew they were all going through the same hell. Because a lot of a lot of the time, these were ordinary soldiers. As I say, they were not officers. Uh, they were in the same boat in a way. Uh, despite the national differences, they, they they all shared the same motivation for leaving the trace, traces. Um, yeah. Also that's what's uh, it reminded me of um did you see that um, peter jackson uh, he, for the centenary he um, yeah. the film they shall not grow old a fantastic um he, he took hundreds of rows of footage of 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 film from the first world war and he colorized it he slowed it down and he, he brought these men to life you
1: know, yeah it was creepy, it was kind of creepy's not the right it word was in it a was way, yes, very eerie to sort of look at the especially when like there were units that would um then go into battle and you're like I wonder how many of these guys survived that's right and it was just it's a bit un again unnerving feels like the wrong word, but it, yeah it's how it struck me
0: but he was asked afterwards there was this uh panel discussion at the British film institute, he was asked. You went through all these hundreds of hours. Uh, What struck you most about what you saw? And I found it fascinating. He said what struck him most was the sight of of British and German medics battling together to save the lives of soldiers, regardless of their nationality. You know, the absence of hatred is what uh, struck him most. Uh, And... uh, it, it it just chimes with these graffiti uh, somehow, and uh, also um, the German historian Thomas Weber he's about to publish a book about Christmas truces. You know, there's this this people think it only happened once in 1914. He says these truces were going on all the time. There were Easter truces, impromptu truces. This this was a common <laughs> common trait of trench life, um, suppressed by the uh, by the, uh, the, the news of it did not reach. Home, and it seems to have been for the past century. People, it's, people just don't realise how, to what extent these truces took place. And again, uh, this uh, an absence of
1: hatred. Yeah, I, I remember reading a uh, um, uh an article, uh, a book on the First World War years ago, and there was um, a, a, a British regiment received a message came over the, from the German trenches. I think it was in an empty shell case or something, and it said, uh, "We're uh, we're the we're a Saxon regiment." You're Anglo-Saxons. You're the same as us. You don't shoot at us. We don't shoot at you. <laughs> then about a month later, they, another message came over and said, we're going back into reserve now. The Prussians are coming in. They're not <laughs> like us. Fire at you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
0: Yes, yes. The Prussians are very, very different uh, race. <laughs> yes. <Yeah.
1: laughs> I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Americans briefly. Did um, they, they left a few things ar- around uh, Fouadmont.
0: Yes. Uh, yes, I went into this uh, fascinating quarry near the Chemin, well, actually uh, meters away from the Chemin des which is this 25-kilometer ridge, um, which was uh, the front line Um Held by the germans for uh for most of the time um, but uh, the, the, one quarry was taken over by the Americans in early uh, nineteen eighteen and in six weeks uh the Americans left over a thousand um inscriptions um, um but by comparison, the Germans had been there for a number of years almost three years It was just a few dozen. Right. Um, but the Americans came in and you just get a sense of the exuberance, exuberance of the troops raring to get into the fight. They, they carved their names in big bold letters, uh, some of which like resemble the fonts of advertising billboards, you know, that the, these carvings, they look so, even now, so fresh and pulsating. You get a sense of the power and the energy behind it. And it, it really seems to augur the outcome of the war, because with two millions of these guys joining the fight, You just get a sense the Allies just weren't going to lose. And these men were from the U.S. 26th Division, nicknamed the Yankee Division, because they were made up of National Guard troops, uh, mainly from the six New England states. Uh, Volunteers, many were relatively recent immigrants to the U.S. from countries like Russia, Ukraine, Poland, Italy, Scotland. Mm. And Froid de Moir, which was uh, another one of these quarries, was big enough to accommodate hundreds of men. Um, and, uh, you get carvings like, uh, Buffalo Bill, uh, Native Americans with feather headdresses and uh, many, uh, many, uh, carvings of the square and compasses that reflect how popular Freemasons were in America, uh, at the Mm -hmm. time. Britain too, I think, but you really see loads of, um, Masonic symbols down there. Um. And one Yankee who wrote his name in a quarry near there, which was also occupied by, um, by, by, um, the Yankee division, um, the 103rd regiment was Ralph T. Mohn. He wrote a diary and, um, in the diary at first he sounds excited at the prospect of getting into the fight and mm-hmm. he goes, he sets about, uh, souvenir hunting despite French warnings that things left lying around on the ground like helmets were often booby trapped. Yeah. Um, but you, you get a sense uh, when you read the diary, it's, as soon as he, he got closer to the action in the weeks that followed in the spring of 1918, he started witnessing its horrors. Uh, he was sounding a lot less enthusiastic. Uh, he writes about coming under intense German bombardment with heavy shells and says, quote, believe me, the man who said he was not scared is a liar. He reported yeah. seeing a man with his head blown off, and and then he stopped his diary just a few days later, writing, quote, "From now on, all we see as hell is hell." So he he just uh, gave up writing writing about
1: it. It's the arc that so many young men of Britain and France and Germany in 1914, and now the Americans in 1917 is like, "Great, we're going to war. This is going to be a jolly adventure." And isn't this lovely? Oh my God, this is horrific.
0: Yeah, you you really get a sense of this enthusiasm on the walls um but but I thought Moen's diary was very
1: like you said earlier that with the dampness destroying some of the quarries um is there any move to try and preserve these at all
0: yes um in the last few years sites like Buzinko especially the dampness is causing the inscriptions to dissolve um, a, a quarter of the inscriptions at at, at are deemed to be in a poor or very poor state of conversa- uh, conservation and at atnawe Uh, The rub of a tourist's shoulder against the wall can wipe out a hundred-year-old story. So, uh, and the quarries are also vulnerable to looters looking for collectibles, Um, um, because some of them are still filled with, uh, you know, bully beef tins and discarded boots, barbed wire, shell casings, uh, Mm. gas masks, stuff like that still uh, hanging around in these, um, lying around in these in these sites, because uh but anyway in in recent years uh, there's archaeologists have recognised the urgency of um of recording the sites and, and the graffiti, and there's a wave of fresh research underway. there's been a systematic cataloging of some sites such as nowworth such as Bozincourt um and, and there uh, there are projects underway to create three d digital imagery of the caves. Uh, which, uh, maybe the only way to keep this testimony alive for posterity. Yeah. And ensure broad access to it because, um, the sites are, a lot of them are just shut off. Um, uh, you can't get in them. Uh, it's dangerous to enter them. Um, um, so, you know, mass tourism is out of the question for a lot of them. Although some can be visited, like Naua is definitely worth visiting. Um, Montigny is worth visiting. I mentioned that early earlier near the village of Machemont. Confrecourt, you can you can um if you're persuasive uh get into some areas of it. And of course the Wellington tunnels near near Arras, uh that's a that's a, a major tourist site and you can see some graffiti in that. Um anyway, uh local heritage associations play a very important part in uh protecting the sites. Um, and they have been alerting authorities for decades that that um that, that 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 funding is needed and that these places need to be protected and they have had some success um about a dozen of them have been declared as uh historic mon- monuments um mm-hmm. in the nineteen nineties but there is no sort of nationally funded or e u program to protect them as a whole and i think there should be because I think collectively they warrant becoming a UNESCO World Heritage Site, given that this is where a whole generation of men from all over the world converged for this disastrous conflict and immortalized themselves. Uh, I think it also clearly warrants more research because, uh, there are an estimated 400 of these quarries, um, in wow. The, uh, Picardy and not Pas de Calais regions alone, which was the site of the, uh, um, the, the Aisne, was, Somme, Arras battle sectors. 400 of these quarries known to contain significant, um, amounts of graffiti, um, and you're not telling me that there aren't more Underground I mean these places are everywhere every village had one of its own quarries you know they use mm. the quarries to extract stones to build the villages so um they go on for for, for hundreds of meters some some of them go on for kilometers in the black they're in the blackness these these it's, it's a, there is there must be inscriptions which you know have not been discovered or which have been forgotten uh, and which must which should be researched i think
1: absolutely i remember seeing um oh, i was quite a while ago there's a program where they had unearthed an old royal engineer tunneling sap and they were going through and there was just graffiti on the walls there of just tunneling um sappers who just sort of left their name and number yes or uh, and it was like they had been unearthed for the first time since 1918 so yeah i, I, I believe you that there's there's probably miles and miles of this stuff just waiting to be discovered
0: Uh, There's a British group called the Durand Group, which is made up of uh, military experts, bomb disposal experts and engineers. And they have been um, doing very intensive research um, of underground battle sites. Uh, um, They started out underneath Vimy Ridge and they've they've also researched other areas and uh, they have found uh, graffiti in Um, tunnels dug um, for mines and uh, for access to trenches man-made tunnels yes so you know there's there's a whole subterranean battlefield under the western front um which which a lot much of which has to yet to be explored add one thing there's the um the this frat de moi quarry is absolutely stunning and it's uh, the guardian of this quarry is uh, Gilles Chauvin he's the president of the Chameur des Dames association mm. he led me down it uh, you have to go down two five meter ladders and, and uneven um, and it's quite challenging uh, carrying lights photographic equipment <laughs> tripods down here Um he gave me a good quote uh, he said I asked him, why do they do, why did they uh, spend all this time doing this? And he said, they had to keep themselves occupied at night, ahead of an attack or during bombardment. If you don't occupy your spirit, you go mad. It is a way of mentally escaping the horror. Also, they all shared the fear of death. They all wanted to show, I was here. I participated in something extraordinary. I did my job. No one wants to be forgotten. They were worried, not just about dying, but but about literally disappearing at any time, being obliterated by a shell so that there would be nothing left of them. These inscriptions are like bottles thrown into the sea. I think that quote sums up
1: Yeah, the graffiti. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, I can't add anything to that. So. <laughs> but Dave, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about your book. It's, it's due out pretty soon, isn't it?
0: Yes, it's due out on May the 15th. It's called Whispering Walls. First World War graffiti. It has a lot of. Uh, it has over 140 photos uh, in it um of of the most striking graffiti that I found, and um yeah, it was absolutely fascinating to work on, and I I, I hope to continue this research.
1: For what it's worth, I really enjoyed the book, so I'm, I'm I'm recommending it to any list to our listeners. When I sort of went into it, thinking, oh, they're just names written on the wall, but the more you read it. The... As, as with the quote you, you ended with, it just becomes so much more poignant and so much, this, the names and deeds echoing through eternity just scrawled on a wall.
0: That's right. And the, the last, the last, uh, veterans died a decade ago, more than a decade ago. And, yeah. uh, it's like, it's like very direct testimony, you know, it, 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 it cuts. Through time, it's, it's very immediate. It's, it's not, this is what it was like. It's not, it's not soldiers re- remembering through decades. It is, this is what it is like. This is, you see what they were feeling in the moment, what, mm. the, what they were thinking, what they were going through in a way. It's, it's an immediate testimony, uh, I find. And, um, just when you stand there, as I say, when you stand there where they stood and looking at what they did, it's, um, it's, it's humbling. And it's poignant.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And inspiring because it shows how the spirit and morale can survive extreme conflict. You know, I mean, yeah. you do not, you do not spend hours crafting the cap badge of your regiment if your morale is down. I mean, this is striking, you know, and it's a human reaction to extreme conflict. It also says something about that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And the sort of mindset of the men involved. We could probably, we're probably going up chatting for a bit after right? it's yes, recording. Yes. This, is, this has been really fantastic. And uh, as I said, I, I recommend. Uh,
0: Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time
1: to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest books. You can support them and you can support us on History Hack. of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at
0: bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our
1: listeners and supporters, so make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book.